I'm excited about this new series. I'm thankful that my friend uh, Dave preached uh, last week. We were at our Minja Tree. It was a great time to get away with a group of guys, but I'm thankful that Dave was here. And if you were here, hopefully that was uh, an, an important morning for you as you looked at the idea of suffering and what that looks like as God is with you in the midst of those things. Well, we're starting a series now just called Viral. Uh, a message becomes a movement. Uh, we're really looking at this idea of, of what happened early in the church that really has led us to where we are now. Uh, how do we still know about the message of God thousands of years later? What did God institute then that we are still experiencing now? Now, let me explain viral for some of you um, who maybe not understand that term viral. Um, I'm not going to name anyone or any groups, but just in case uh, you may not be as familiar with uh, social media and how things go viral, but viral just means it's when an image, a video, uh, a story, some sort of information is circulated uh, rapidly and widely from one person to another, usually from the internet. Uh, most of you may know what this looks like, and, and there's some pretty famous viral videos. Uh, as we go through this, I just want to show one maybe each week, and this is one of my favorites, so watch this one. So I don't know how many of you have seen that, but at some point, you know, a dad takes a video, not probably thinking much. He just wants to document what's happened after a surgery, and he posts this video, and then what happens is someone else sees it. It does something to them, whether they laugh or they think it's funny, and then they share it because they want someone else to experience. And then before you know it, almost 200 million people see the original post. And so the, the message spreads quickly, and for something viral to happen... It happens at a rapid pace, and it reaches far out. And here's what's interesting to me is a lot of people don't know why things go viral. They just can't explain it. Right? There's no formulas, no way to figure out why certain things go viral, but we know that that happens. It's when one person on a small scale, when one person enjoys something or has made an impact to them, they just simply tell someone else. And then something happens for them, it impacts them, and it makes a difference in their life to where they then want other people to experience it, whether it's a book or a movie or a story or a funny picture. Something happens, and so they want other people to experience it. But I think for it to go viral, for a message to become a movement, something has to happen inside of you. It has an impact on you, so you want other people to experience it. On Friday, something happened. I did something on Friday. Uh, something I thought I would never do. I've lived here for 13 years, and I finally went up in the arch. Uh, I had never wanted to go up in the arch. If you've been around this place, uh, I'm not signing up usually for things that are high. And so it's not something that I wanted to do, but I have family in town, and my kids have always wanted to go, and I told them they're lucky that my, uh, my father was here to take them because I would have never taken them. And so we, we go, and we, if you've ever done the arch, just to see real quick, how many of you have done the arch? Wow, I'm, I'm joining you now. And so uh, you get in the little uh, shoebox that moves you, uh, it moves you up into the arch, right? And so uh, it was as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, it, was it was just horrible. And so my son and my daughter, who have no fear, are climbing up on the thing. And, and you know, usually as a dad, you console your kids and you tell them everything is going to be okay, right? You, you speak into their fears, and as we're in line, my son and my daughter are checking on me 
and making sure that I'm okay. And so we get to the top, and as I look out from a distance and I look out, I was okay, but my son wanted me to come look straight down, and so I did, and, and I didn't like it. And just to say, I'm, I'm not going to promote it to other people. I'm not, I'm not asking others to go experience the arts because for me, it just didn't, it didn't matter. Like, I'm glad I could check that box. I'm glad I got to experience that with my family. And it was, it's great. It's one of those things to say that you've done. But look, it doesn't impact me in such a way where I'm now calling others to come and experience it. Something happened early on as Jesus came and early on with the church that this message that was preached to them became this movement. Something in the hearts of the early believers happened and they wanted everyone to experience. Well the, well, the churchy word or the spiritual word of that is the word evangelism. If you've been around church very long, you've heard that. You've heard how you need to do that and we feel this weight of needing to evangelize and to tell other people about our faith. But I really believe it's become somewhat of a bad word. It even becomes kind of scary, I think, and it makes us feel a little uncomfortable. And so what is it? Evangelism is the sharing of the gospel with the aim to persuade, to convince. And so as we look at this over the next couple of weeks, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and I, not, I know not everyone in here would call themselves that, but if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, I want to move into this idea that it's not something that we have to do. It really is something we've been invited to be a part of. That, that there is this idea that it would make such an impact on our lives that we would want other people to know about it. Now, if you're here and you would say, look, I don't know what I believe. I wouldn't call myself a Christian. This is my first time in church in a long time. I hope through this series, you'll keep coming back. You'll hear about the good news of Jesus, but more importantly, you'll have a, maybe a clear understanding of what God is calling us to do. What God is calling those who confess to follow Jesus what they're supposed to do. And so maybe you've had one of those weird conversations with someone where they begin talking about those things and you didn't understand what was going on. Well, maybe they were trying to share the good news of Jesus with you. Maybe they've come up short, maybe they failed, but this is the hope that they had was to help you understand the story of who God is. But as I said, there's some things that come along with this. So as we think about evangelism, the sharing, the teaching, the proclaiming of the gospel, you were here a couple of months ago, we did a long series where we looked at the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that we're separated from God and we needed something to happen to, to bring us back to him, that, that God saves us and rescues us and puts us back in right standing because of Jesus and our aim, evangelism, our aim, our hope, our desire is again to persuade people to understand who God is, to convince them. And it's interesting to me, this word evangelism is actually spreading outside of the church. Uh, Apple has evangelists. Uh, Guy Kawasaki was one of the most kind of familiar and famous uh, Apple evangelists. And he said that his job was meant uh, to maintain and rejuvenate the Apple cult, his words. That his job was to spread the message of Apple. That everyone would want a piece of Apple. That everyone would want to buy their product. He was an evangelist spreading a story that he wanted other people to be impacted by. And so we, we think about evangelism and we, we hear that and we have experienced it on our own and maybe things have gone poorly for us before in trying to spread the good news of who God is. And, and so I want us to understand what it's not. 
What is evangelism not? Well, one, it's not notches in a belt. I think far too often as we think about telling people about Jesus, uh, people become a project. And it's not about creating projects. It's really not even just simply inviting people to church, which is great, and we want you to feel that you can do that, that you can invite people into this place, but evangelism isn't simply doing that. It's not making sure that everyone around you knows what you don't do or how good you are. It's not, and often my encounter with preaching on the corner with people is it usually comes across angry, or that people are mad as they begin to preach on the corner. If you've ever experienced that, it's, it's not that. And maybe you've done this or maybe you've received one, but I don't even think it's passing out tracks. Uh, I actually think that can often be more hurtful than helpful. Uh, really, if we're going to spread the good news of who God is and the gospel, it comes with relationships. It comes by rubbing shoulders with people and being near to people where that normally doesn't happen with tracks. Uh, normally, I think they just hurt people or make people angry. I don't know if you've ever seen this one. Anyone seen something like this? You, you see uh, $5 laying on a table. Uh, unfortunately, this often happens uh, in restaurants. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been a waiter or a waitress, but I've seen this happen. You're like, oh, they left me $5. And then you open it. And on it, it says disappointed. Yeah, I'll answer that one. I would be. Uh, Satan also deceives, but Jesus saves. And then below it, I don't know if you can see that. It says given in the spirit of friendship. I'm not sure. And, and here's, here's the deal. I, I think... I think as we think about spreading what we believe with other people, we just become afraid. There's a fear that kind of comes in. And so I think because of that, we think of these ways of telling other people about Jesus where it doesn't take too much responsibility on our part, right? That you can just leave a track on a urinal, which is where I often find them. You can leave them on a, a table or a bench. You can, you can post something on, on Facebook and it kind of doesn't take much responsibility, but this is, this is selling ourselves short of what God wants for us. It really isn't helping the message become a movement. I actually think it's hurting people. And I think one reason we become afraid or we aren't sure how to always do it is because we don't feel like we have all the answers. So if we begin to share with people what we believe, that we are followers of Jesus, we begin to wonder, what if they ask difficult questions? And I don't have the answers. And so I'm just not going to talk about it because if they ask those questions and I don't have the answers, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's okay not to have all the answers. I promise. Just tell them you'll try and find out. Tell them you'll ask your pastor and, and just I'll ask my pastors that I look up to and right, we'll, we'll figure it out together, right? And so often we have this fear because we just aren't sure we know it all and you won't and you never will. And, and so there's this fear of, of that or we are afraid of, how they'll respond, or what if they get mad if we begin to share with them what we believe, and, and we definitely don't want to impose our beliefs on other people, right? And so we feel like, well, I can't really talk about it because I don't want to impose myself on someone, or I don't want to come across as, as judgmental, and so we just really don't do it. And so many of you might, but I think for the most part, I think we've kind of lost this idea of, of spreading this message of who God is. And so I, I think it's important for us to get back to understand the, the call of the early church 
uh, the people who first encountered Jesus and how the message spread and how really it hasn't changed for us thousands of years later. And so over the next couple weeks, uh, I hope I can help us all, myself included, uh, to get a clear, healthy picture of what it means uh, to spread this message, to talk about God with other people. I want to push against the fears and the worries that we may have. I want us to see that we can actually do this, that I believe other people need to hear this. I mean, at some point, someone told you, right? At some point, someone helped you see who God was. That's why most of you are here right now, whether it was in church or a neighbor or family, or it was someone else, someone shared this with you. And that's why you're here today. As a teenager, that was me. A couple of buddies who picked me up and their families, that, that's what started it for me and not sure where I would be today if it wasn't for them, that they believed in a message so much that it impacted them to want other people to know. And so how do we get back to that place? Because I believe it is a remarkable story. I think it is a beautiful picture of how much God loves us. There's an author named Seth Godin. I'm going to read this and then we're going to look at a couple of scriptures from the very beginning of the early church. Uh, Seth Godin's uh, a marketing guy and an author And uh, he talks about why things, he thinks things go viral. And this is what he says. Only those ideas which are remarkable can spread. They can be remarkable in terms of look, value proposition, marketing, etc. But they need to stand out from whatever has come before. Instead of making average products for the average buyer who, according to Godin, have become experts at ignoring advertisements thrown at them. Companies should target innovators and early adopters. These are the folks who have insane passion for the products they have. They can drive for miles to get the coffee they love and stand in queues for hours to get their hands on their favorite phone before anyone else. These are the people who become not just customers, but rather promoters of a brand or product they truly love. They are the ones who help make things go viral. Man, as I read that, I was thinking about, do we really love the message of God? Like, has it entered into our hearts so much that we want other people to experience it? I think it's true. I think it has. But I think our fears keep us from being able to do that. And so in the early church, it wasn't an option. I mean, they experienced Jesus. They were going to give their lives for other people to experience it. And the church begins to grow. And this message that they heard becomes a movement. I want to look at a few passages uh, early in the in in, um the early church and what happened uh, as the church begins to be uh, started and as it becomes a movement. If you don't own a Bible or if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a red one around you. Uh, That's our gift to you. Please take that. I would encourage you to grab that. Um, You can write in it, mark it up. If you have an app on your phone, I would encourage you. There's a few things I'll have you underline and look at. We're going to look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20. This is one of those scriptures. If you've been around the church, uh, you've heard this. It's called the Great Commission. Uh, or command, or instruction. Um, it's a, the idea of a group of people being officially charged with a particular function. And this is here what we uh, hear Jesus say. Matthew 28 says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, the Father has given me authority to do all of this. And before I leave, I want you to hear what is probably the most important thing, one of the most important things you'll hear me say, that you need to go. That you need to go, that you need to get out of being comfortable, that you, even in the the face of losing your life, you need to go and spread this message. You need to help make disciples, help people become learners of who God is in all nations. That's honestly why we're here today. Because the early church, those first disciples, took this literally. They believed Jesus' words and said, all right, if this is what Jesus is telling me to do, then this is what we're going to do. And as they begin to do this, this message becomes a movement and it begins to impact and influence all areas of the world and it is still happening today. In all nations, all people are going to hear this message. And he says to baptize them, to publicly help them confess that they're followers of Jesus and teach them the ways of God. And in the midst of all of that, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. And so these early guys and, and, and ladies, they hear this call that is put on their lives and they begin to respond. They begin to literally do what God has asked them to do. And then we see in Acts 1.8, it says this. He's meeting with uh, his uh, disciples here at the very end of his life. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, I'm leaving, but my spirit is going to be with you and you're going to have power, the power to do what? To be my witnesses. Now we know in, in court now, we know what a witness is, right? And so it's really not that different from what Jesus was saying then. That you are going to be the evidence of what I have done. That you are going to testify on my behalf. And see, Jesus didn't say just right here, just with your family, but he said here in Jerusalem, we're going to extend to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The whole world is going to hear the message and the good news of the gospel. And it's going to start with you. I mean, just think about this. 11 people, as he tells this to, a couple thousand years ago has spread to where we are now. And that it's still spreading. I like to always imagine what would have maybe happened in this situation. And, and I like to think of Peter uh, if you don't know, Peter, at the end of Jesus' life, denies even knowing Jesus, right? There's people who come up and they say, oh, that guy, he was with Jesus. And, and Peter would respond, I don't, I don't even know him. Jesus comes back and he has this moment with Peter where he lets Peter know that he loves him. And even at one point where he comes back, he, he tells this group of people to go tell the disciples that he's alive and tell Peter, right? He wants Peter to know that it's okay, and so Peter comes back to Jesus and, and now Peter's hearing this idea that he's going to be the one that helps spread this message. I just wonder if Peter in that moment says to Jesus, are you sure? Like, like do you remember like a few days ago I denied even knowing you? Are, you? are you really sure you want me to do that? John and James and the other disciples who also kind of leave Jesus in that moment, they're also probably wondering, are you sure you want to put that on us? 
Like when Jesus gets to heaven after the resurrection and he goes back into heaven, like I often wonder, and, and this isn't in the Bible, this is just, this is just me wondering, like, do the angels ask Jesus, hey, how'd it go? Like everything goes planned and Jesus shares what happened. And then, and then I wonder if, if the angels say, well, what now? And Jesus says, you know, Peter and those guys who I kind of pulled that no one else wanted, I've, I put it in their hands. And I wonder in that moment if they wonder, okay, what's plan B? Right? Like plan A, great. I hope that, that works. But what's, what's plan B? And Jesus says, there, there really is no plan B. There is no plan B. There was no plan B then. There is no plan B now. Like Jesus really believes that those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus have the ability to spread the message. That people will come to know the good news because of his power in us, right? He's the one that helps people come to know who he is. But there's this invitation to use us. I mean, this isn't like something to, to threaten you with. This isn't, because it's going to happen whether we jump in or not. But just to think of that gift of saying, look, you can be a part of this. Like you can help other people experience the good news of, of Jesus, that Jesus actually believed they could do it and we could do it, that there is no plan B. I don't know, some of you, if you're like me, uh, you have a plan, you're not always sure it's going to go well. And so you always kind of have this backup plan. Maybe it's because you don't really believe it can happen, and so you're like, we'll go for that, but I'm going to have something else in my back pocket just in case. It didn't happen. This was the plan for his church, for his people to communicate the good news. And even as I say that, those fears, those worries, okay, Kyle, what are you going to ask me to do? Right? What is the expectation that is put on me? Well, I'm going to ask you to do one thing today. One thing over the next week and maybe even just for the rest of your life. One thing today. We'll, we'll, go, we'll go easy today, right? Uh, next week might, might be a little more. Uh, but this week, I think it's one of the most important things we can do. And that thing I'm going to ask you to do is to pray. To pray. And I want to give you a couple ways that I want you to do that. And I'm not a, this is just a, for now we'll pray. Or the least you can do is pray. No, I think this is one of the most important things we can do. Uh, Matthew 9, 35 through 38, we hear Jesus uh, talking and he says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Everywhere Jesus goes, he preaches the good news. He preaches that he's come to save and to rescue. And he points to this kingdom of God that was different than what most people probably thought it was going to look like, that there was hope for the hopeless, that those were sick, those who were sick and outcast, there was good news for them. Verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Before I read uh, 37 and 38, just get this picture, the idea of a shepherd and his sheep. I don't know if you know this, but sheep aren't the, the smartest of animals. And so they need someone to guide them. They need someone to direct them. And so he says, look, I see these people who are lost, who are spiritually bankrupt, who are alone, and he has compassion on them, that he wants them to know the good news. And he said, they're like sheep without a shepherd, no one to guide them. And so then verse 37 says, then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There's a group of people who are longing and needing to hear the good news. There are people who are helpless and who are hurting and who are alone. And they just need someone to share this good news that God is with them and God loves them and cares for them. He says the harvest is plentiful. It is all over. But those who will help the harvest, those who will help reap those who are looking for the good news are few. There's few people who are willing and able to go in and do this. And so verse 38, he says this, so ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus doesn't say, would you begin to ask the Lord of the harvest that, that he would send them to you? I think we could get into this mindset as a pastor and as a church that we'll just wait. Right? We'll just hope that people will show up. And I think now more than ever, it's not happening. It's not happening. But you know what? That actually creates this environment that really creates uh, this hopeful feeling for me. That I think the harvest is still plentiful. I still think there are lots of people who in our culture today are needing something they can depend on. That there are people that need to feel loved that they need someone to come around them and support them in their time of need and of hurt. So it isn't enough for us just to hope that people will show up, but that we must go into our world, into our families, into our communities, into our workplaces and neighborhoods and schools, and to tell of the good news. That we are the harvest at some point, that someone helped step up and spread the good news with us. And so we have the opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. And so the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is to pray for the harvest and the workers. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to set an alarm on my phone uh, just to remind myself to do that. Uh, the scripture of this is nine, uh, uh, Matthew 9, 38. And so for me, I'm just going to set an alarm for 9:38, And I'm going to do it twice. I'm going to do 9.38 a.m. I'm going to do 9.38 p.m. And I'm just going to invite you to do it with me. Um, at 9.38 a.m., I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for the workers, that we would have opportunities uh, to share with others what we believe. And we're going to talk about this. So as that fear still begins to creep in, uh, next week we're going to talk about more in depth what that looks like. So this week, just begin to pray. Pray that God will give you opportunities. Pray for the church here, Trinity, but the church globally. And then 9.30 p.m., I'm going to pray for the harvest. I'm going to pray for those who don't know God, who have never experienced what it means to know they're forgiven or they're loved by God who created them. And so I'm going to pray for them. It's an invitation for you to join with me in praying for the harvest and for the workers. The second thing is I think we need to pray how we see people, how we see people. I think uh, for the message, the good news of Jesus to go viral, uh, how we see people really needs to begin to change. How we talk about people needs to change. Unfortunately, I feel like there's often an us versus them mentality. Us, those who believe, and them who do not. And it really feels like there's a barrier between the two groups of people. What we see that as the early church begins to grow, and then we have Paul, whose life is transformed, who hates Christians, he's killing Christians, uh, the gospel message comes to him, 
And all he can do from that is now spread the good news everywhere that he goes, to the ends of the earth. I think Paul sees people differently. Listen to this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 8. He says this, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. They were literally facing persecution and imprisonment, but they believed the message so much that they were willing to do it. Verse 3, it says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. It's the, the trap, right? It's the, the bait and switch. Paul says, look, we don't have impure motives. We're not trying to trick you. Verse 4, it says, On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, nor from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, those who are sent, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Man, just the way Paul talks about these people, those people, those people who didn't know the gospel or understand the gospel, maybe some of those who were even persecuting them and threatening them. He says, we have loved you as a mother caring for her little children. They were thankful that we get to preach the good news to you, but we also just to share our lives with you. Here in two weeks, we're going to look at this idea of that, of what does it look like to share our lives with one another, this term oikos. We're going to look at this idea of household or family unit here in two weeks. But for Paul, Paul is saying, look, I love, I love that I got to share with you about Jesus, but really I'm just glad I got to share my life with you. Hugh Halter, who is a pastor in Denver, he moved to Alton. I've talked to him a couple times. In one of his books, he says this. He paraphrases that scripture. He says this. Because we found ourselves emotionally attached to you all, we couldn't just preach at you. We knew you needed time to process your faith, and the only way to help you understand the big picture was to stay with you longer. We knew the message would make more sense if you saw it lived out in our lives. See, what I think the original writer got that we maybe often miss is that God is really patient with people. God's patient with people. God, God is loving towards people. He wants no one to perish. I think we're a little quicker with people. We're not as patient with people. We're not as understanding from where they've come from or where they're at. We're not willing to maybe even walk with them through those dark times. And I think part of evangelism is just doing life with people. And the only way we're able to do that is I think we have to change how we see people. People that vote differently than us. People who live differently than us. Who talk differently than us. Who maybe their lifestyle isn't what we would agree with. But, but maybe we need to change how we see people. Maybe we need to see people as those who are created in the image of God. We are all created in the image of God. God. And so maybe instead of us being angry towards people or living in fear of them or corrupting our world or speaking poorly about people, maybe we need to just first start by praying for people. 
And, and maybe even before we start praying for those people, we begin to pray for our own hearts. That we just ask God, would you help me begin to see people differently? That we could share our lives with others. That maybe they would see the gospel in our lives before we even ever open our mouths. I read this week a, a, a quote or a story. Uh, it said an Amish man was asked if he was a Christian. And he said, I don't know. You'll have to ask my neighbor. Are you a Christian? I don't know. You'll have to ask my neighbor. That the way we treat people, the way we work with people, the way we love people will say a lot about what we believe. And so I think we have to look at how we see people. Hugh Halter again says, we step across from our religious side into their all too real world and ask, how can we help? Uh, the house we bought uh, has a little bit of land and uh, we, we've been working on it. My dad's in town and, and we've been clearing out some brush and, and doing some work. And so we had a pretty good sized fire in our, our backyard uh, the other day. And uh, next thing I know, the fire department is showing up. And someone had called and said we had an out of control fire as we're all standing around this, this fire. And uh, so the fire department says, well, it looks like it's under control. Uh, just make sure and, and watch it. And so I said, okay, uh, we'll, we'll make sure and watch it. And so they leave. About an hour later, there's a knock on the door and the same group of firemen are there again. And he says, uh, we've been called uh, nine times uh, and told that your fire is a nuisance. The smoke is a nuisance. And so we're going to have to ask you to, to put it out. And so I stood with these firemen with a little water hose, uh, putting out this massive fire in my, my backyard. And, and they leave, and my neighbor pulls up uh, on the left side of me. And, and my neighbor pulls up, and, and her first question is, I asked how she's doing. I'd never met her before. And I asked her how she's doing, and her first response to me is, uh, well, just trying to figure out what's going on, because we had cut all these trees down that was kind of blocking and creating a barrier for her horses. So she, in this moment, is concerned. So some other neighbor has called the 911 on me. My other neighbor is not very happy with what is going on, right? And in that moment, there's already this stirring. I've heard some of you talk about your neighbors, and I've had the gift of beautiful, wonderful neighbors, and I have a feeling that I'm going to get to love my neighbors who are not easy to, uh, to love always. And so she comes up, and she's wondering um, what's going on. I begin to share with her, and in the very beginning of this moment, as the barrier of the fence is between us, I, I get this sense that something is going on. And almost in this moment, out of nowhere, she begins to tear up and to cry. I kind of asked her how, what was going on, and she begins to tell me that her husband is just diagnosed with cancer, and he's starting chemo, and that things were not going well. And in that moment, I, I mentally kind of dropped the fence. Right, and I, and I could have just kind of continued going and nice to meet you and could have been frustrated because she's frustrated and I could have been frustrated because another house somewhere around me is frustrated who she told me who she thought it was. And so there's this frustration that could well up inside of me and I could see in this moment my barrier of my house being me versus them. But, but in that moment, I, I kind of figuratively drop this fence between me and this woman and ask her how things are going and how I can help and if she needs anything to let me know and immediately the way she responded to me changed and I'm already trying to make plans and have my wife bake some goods to take to the other house that I think is uh, is calling on on us but I think it's really easy for us to see people as us and them 
But I wonder what would happen if we begin to just pray that we would see people as people. And that the message has made such a difference in our lives that we want other people to experience it. That we're looking for opportunities just to share what we believe. And so my challenge for you today as Greg comes up and we move into next week, uh, this is going to be this ongoing kind of message, this five parts to a message. And so I hope that you'll come back next week. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the posture that we take as we begin to share what we believe and then how we proclaim what we believe and why both of those things matter. But I just want you to begin to pray this week. Uh, pray um, that there'll be opportunity. P pray for yourself. Pray for the harvest, but pray for the workers. 9.38, I'm going to be praying. I hope you will as well. But begin to pray for your heart. It'd be easy to pray for other people and say they need to change. Um, but maybe we need to start with ourselves and begin to ask ourselves, how do I see people who don't follow Jesus yet? How do I look at them or perceive them? And maybe as God changes our hearts, uh, we'll be able to then do life with them. That we'll have friendships with people who don't look like us or live like us or believe like us. Many of you already do. But what would that look like for us to pray, to take a posture and be able to proclaim the good news and then to see the opportunity that is around us. Would you stand as I pray? And we'll sing this last song together. God, I'm so thankful that uh, about 25 years ago, Lord, uh, you kind of stepped into my life for the first time through people. Uh, not a program, not a formula, but you just used your people who cared deeply about you and cared about me. I'm thankful that that happened and how it's changed my life. And, and we know, Lord, the importance of your message, the good news. We all need this grace, this forgiveness, this love. And so, God, I pray that you would help us. God, we know the harvest is plentiful. Would you help us to see where we could impact and help those who are seeking to know you? And then, God, would you just change our heart? Would you help us to see people as those you've created, created in your image, not as us and them. Would you help us to drop some fences? Would you help us to do life together with the hope of just being good neighbors? And in the midst of that, we might have an opportunity to share what we believe and that this message will continue to be a movement. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. Thank you for today. I pray as we leave this place, we would feel encouraged and even begin to feel equipped to help make this message continue to be a movement. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.